Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about what's going on with the new COVID-19 variants with infectious disease epidemiologist Dr. Syra Madad. Then you'll learn about a new theory on how our planet's formed. Let's satisfy some curiosity. We know it's hard to wrap your head around all the latest developments with the coronavirus pandemic. So we talked to an expert to help you understand the latest, specifically what to do about the new coronavirus mutations or variants and what effect they might have on the vaccines. Dr. Syra Madad is a nationally recognized epidemiologist and the senior director of the Pathogens Program at NYC Health and Hospitals. One of the big things we talked to her about was the fear factor. How worried should we be about these new coronavirus variants? Dr. Madad told us that even with these new variants, quote, what we have been doing since the beginning of the pandemic, we just need to keep doing it and doing even more of it, unquote. Basically, near the beginning of the pandemic, we figured some things out. Wear masks, stay away from other people, wash your hands. And as far as the variants go, we just need to stick with that game plan. Right. But hopefully someday we won't have to be so vigilant. And the vaccines are one way we can make that happen. So it's pretty important to know how these new variants might affect the vaccines. Here's what Dr. Syra Madad told us when we asked, what would it take for a vaccine to stop being effective against a mutation? When we talk about certain events happening, meaning that people that have been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, so for example, if they're taking a, a vaccine that requires two doses, which majority right now do, full protection is getting that full two dose, and then waiting out that 10 to 14 period. If they get infected with COVID-19 after having those two doses, that's concerning because that may be, okay, this variant may be uh, escaping, you know, your vaccine-induced immunity. We haven't seen that yet in, in a sense. And we do a poor job generally with surveillance and uh, reporting that there's a delay in it. So right now we haven't seen that. If that does happen, we would be concerned. And if the same individual, for example, after getting the full protection is hospitalized and then dies because they contract COVID-19. Because when we talk about these vaccines, when we talk about how efficacious they are, um, people can still get infected with COVID-19, right? So you can have that full immunity, that two dose, and you can still get infected, but it shouldn't get to the point where it's causing severe disease, hospitalization, and death. And we haven't seen that. And if that does happen, that's when we're concerned that we need to look at our vaccines again and see what we need to do to tweak them. But I think it's also important to know that these pharmaceutical companies are looking at having booster shots. So, you know, in case you see, you know, uh, immunity escape from the vaccine, if you will, then you have these booster shots that can be employed, uh, you know, a wide scale as needed. And so you have a backup plan. And that's that's what you need. You need contingencies, you need backup plans, because I think one thing that is certain in this pandemic, and there's so much uncertainty, but one thing that is certain is that uh, you can bank on change, right? That's the constant variable, which is change. And you should always plan for that unexpected, knowing that we're in a situation where you're going to get curveballs and nothing's going to go by the book. It's not going to be by, you know, uh, a, a good process. You just want to have these good contingency plans. And that's what's being planned right now. The, these pharmaceutical companies are looking at developing booster shots. And the booster shots would be given right now, you know, based on the information we have, would be uh, people that have already gotten their full two doses. And so if they require a booster shot, that's, you know, when you can employ those. 
And so just to be totally clear, like the booster shots would be to help the body protect against this new variant? That's correct. Got it. And again, if you actually look back in history, right, is there, are these things that are new and different? Have we experienced this before? So if you go back to the H1N1 pandemic, you know, when it started, you already had your seasonal flu vaccines um, available for that particular that year. And so when that pandemic started, they, you know, they developed new um flu vaccines, very similar almost to like a booster shot, you know, protecting against that particular threat. So you can learn lessons from history. So to be extra clear on this, Dr. Madad told us that when it comes to coronavirus variants, it would be concerning if we saw severe disease, hospitalization or death after infection. But she hasn't. So in the meantime, like we said, we just need to keep doing what we've been doing, which can be a little disheartening. I mean, We've been doing this stuff and there's still a pandemic. So I asked Dr. Madad, how are we in a better place now than we were at the start of the pandemic? Well, we learned a lot. We absolutely learned a lot since the beginning of this pandemic. And some of the things that we've learned, um, I think the biggest is knowing that asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic spread is so common with this virus. And that is why you have this universal masking requirement in many places, because we don't know who has it. We don't know who who, who has it, right? who, do, who doesn't and who, who does. Um, we also learned about the various transmission-based dynamics of COVID-19. We know that you, ventilation is key. Before you kept hearing hearing about wash your hands, wear a mask, watch your distance. All of those were important, but you weren't hearing about having good ventilation, having uh, a space that, uh, you know, is big enough if you have, you know, multiple people. Because we've learned about the kind of the airborne dynamics of this particular virus. And we've learned so much more about the clinical treatment of these patients. So now when you go into a hospital, Healthcare providers are much more in tune of what to do right away before uh, in the beginning of this pandemic. You know, it was a big learning curve. We had no idea what to do, what not to do. Um, we realized proning was beneficial, right? So a lot of these things were happening. We were learning in real time. And, you know, as people say, you know, you're, we were literally walking across the bridge as we were building it. And that holds true even today. We're learning more and more about this disease, about this virus. Um, but you just can't get answers right away. And that's why we need to continue to do all these measures until we learn more. The proning that she mentioned is basically where doctors lie patients face down because that helps them breathe better. But even knowing how we've improved in the last year, a lot of us are still getting pandemic fatigue at this point. And along with that, a lot of people are starting to go out more. There have been mixed messages from a lot of people on exactly what we should and shouldn't be doing. Here's a nice reminder to help you calculate risks before you take them. I think it's really important just to understand what is a high risk activity, right? So whether you are going to do indoor dining, outdoor dining, going grocery shopping, going to the mall, right? We want to look at high risk activities as those that you are in a confined environment with poor ventilation that is in a crowded space. And so when we look at that, a lot of different activities fall under that, right? And so those are the things we want to avoid. And if we can't avoid it, because we have to go to the grocery store. I have to go to the grocery store every two days to get milk because I have kids that drink a lot of milk with their cereal. And, and things like that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm making constant trips to the grocery store. But, and so there's things that you still, you have to do. I mean, that's just part of life. We also have to go to work. And that's where these mitigation strategies come in play, right? And you want to add as many as possible to overall reduce your risk of transmission. Nothing will be 100% and nothing will be zero, right? We're not looking at zero transmission. Certainly that is the goal. But as much as we can reduce the overall risk, that's what we're looking for. And so certainly 
if you have poor ventilation, then you want to add in products that can make airflow better. So you're seeing, you're looking at HIPAA filters and, and things like that. And if you can't do that, then look at the low hanging fruit, open the doors, open the windows, making sure that people are wearing a mask, you know, at all times. Obviously, when you're doing indoor dining, that's not possible. Um, and that's where you're looking at, is it good ventilation? Is it a crowded space? And if it is, then that's not a, an activity you should be participating in. Just because a restaurant is open doesn't mean that it's safe. But I think people just need to look at it from their own standpoint, you know, their own judgment. And is this something that's truly safe? Is there 10 people in that restaurant and they don't have a mask on? And it's even though it's, it's six feet of distance, we know that, you know, this virus doesn't necessarily follow that six foot rule. That's just an imaginary bubble. So people just need to look at it in their own context and, and make their individual decision and that risk benefit analysis. Again, that was Dr. Syra Madad, a nationally recognized epidemiologist and the senior director of the pathogens program at NYC Health and Hospitals. She's also featured in a brand new documentary. It's called The Vaccine, Conquering COVID, and it's streaming now on Discovery+. Plus. The special goes behind the scenes of the race for a vaccine and features interviews with Dr. Madad and more of the world's leading doctors, including Dr. Anthony Fauci. Again, The Vaccine, Conquering COVID is streaming now on Discovery+. Plus. And if you haven't signed up yet, then start your seven-day free trial at discoveryplus.com slash curiosity. There's something weird about our solar system. The inner planets are way different than the outer planets. The leading theory for why rests on Jupiter. It formed first, and that big chonker kept the inner and outer planets from exchanging materials. But new research is posing a different theory. And if it's correct, then Jupiter wasn't the star of the show. Real credit goes to, wait for it, radioactive isotope aluminum-26. Your favorite isotope, obviously. Here's what I mean. Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars, our inner planets, are small and dry and close to the sun. Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus are farther out, very different sizes, and chock full of ice and volatile elements like hydrogen and helium. And the new theory says this is why. About four and a half billion years ago, a young sun was surrounded by a disk of gas and dust. The heat of the sun separated the disk into an inner region and an outer one, divided by what scientists call the snow line. Water molecules inside the snow line were gaseous because they were close to the sun. Water molecules outside the snow line formed ice crystals. Just beyond the snow line, water vapor condensed onto grains of dust. These clumps grew and grew until they formed objects about 100 kilometers in diameter called planetesimals. These water-rich planetesimals eventually became the inner planets, including Earth. Then, for the next half million years, energy from the sun made the disk of gas and dust warmer and warmer. That pushed the snow line farther away from the sun, and at the same time, the sun's gravity pulled gas and dust particles inward. But those particles couldn't cross the snow line. That traffic jam led a second class of planetesimals to form, planetesimals that would become the outer planets. So they got a late start, but the conditions out there made them form a lot faster. Okay, so why are the inner planets relatively dry while many outer planets are mostly ice? And why are volatile elements more common in the outer planets? Well, the answer is a radioactive isotope that was apparently really common in the early solar system. It's called aluminum-26, and it has a half-life of 700,000 years. 
aluminum-26 releases a ton of energy as it decays. And the researchers think that caused a lot of the water and volatile elements on the inner planets to evaporate during those early days. But a lot of that decay had already happened when the outer planets started forming, so they were able to hang on to their water and volatile elements. It's going to take a lot more research before cosmologists can decide whether this theory hits the mark, but it's the story of how we came to be. So I'd say it's kind of worth it. All right, well, let's recap what we learned today, starting with the fact that instead of worrying about coronavirus variants, we just need to double down on what we've already been doing to stop COVID-19 from spreading. Wear a mask, stay at least six feet away from other people, and wash your hands. And on a macro level, it would be concerning if we saw severe disease or hospitalization or death from a vaccinated person getting one of these variants, but we have not seen that as of the time of this recording. And even in that case, companies are already researching these variants, and you can bet they'll be working on booster shots if the need arises. Yeah. And, you know, we're already starting to see headlines suggesting that some people who have been vaccinated tested positive for coronavirus. And that's to be expected. These vaccines do not stop you from being infected. They stop you from getting very sick. Like Dr. Madad said, they stop severe disease, hospitalization and death. So if we see those things, that's the time to get concerned. But for now, a coronavirus infection in a vaccinated person is not cause to be concerned. And on non-COVID news, there's a new theory about how our planets formed. It says a cloud of gas and dust swirling around the sun got split in half by a snow line, which basically delineated where water vapor ended and ice began. So just beyond that snow line, water vapor condensed onto grains of dust, which condensed even more, and they grew into planetesimals. And those turned into the inner planets. And then as the snow line pushed out, as the sun got bigger and warmer, the outer planets got their chance. And then they formed a second class of planetesimals. And we think that an isotope called aluminum-26 is the reason why the inner planets don't have that much water and the outer planets have a bunch of ice and also volatile elements. It's a really hard one to just kind of wrap up quickly, but that's the that's the deal. <laughs> well, and like if you're wondering what evidence are researchers actually looking at to figure any of this out, there was a thing in the press release from Professor Maria Schoenbechler from ETH Zurich, and she was one of the authors on the paper. She said, quote, meteorites have a different fingerprint depending on whether they originated in the inner or the outer solar system, unquote. And she's referring to the different numbers of isotopes in meteorites. And this model explains those differences in isotopes in a different way than previously thought. Isotopes, man. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Not all isotopes are created equal. <laughs> That's literally their whole deal. <laughs> That's why I say it. <laughs> Today's stories were written by me, Cody Goff, and Grant Curran and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Stay home, save lives. And join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.